This is Corolla Digital. Hi, this is Adam Corolla. I want to thank you for supporting this podcast on the Corolla Digital Network. Everyone here at Corolla Digital is very proud of the shows that we put out every week and are excited about the future of our network. However, a patent troll is threatening that future by suing us. We need to fight back and beat the troll down. If we go down, all the other shows on the other networks you've grown to love are going to go down next. Visit fundanything.com forward slash patent troll to donate and find out other ways that you can help beat the patent trolls. Thank you and mahalo. From Level 5 City in Glendale, it's This Week with Larry Miller. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who said a little prayer for someone on Memorial Day. Hi, folks, and welcome back to This Week with Larry Miller. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And again, on a warm day, uh, kind of a gray day a little bit, kind of a, well, misty day, you'd call that around here, and still to come in to prepare with Colonel Jeff and to have Dr. Chris come in and get ready to do the show is great joy for all of us, and especially me. I, I love it very much. And still, that band playing our theme song makes me even happier. I don't know how happy I'm supposed to be on a misty day, but I was. In any case, that's the Salvatore Malta Orchestra, and the Betsy Hamilton dancers featuring Scotty Perkins asking the musical question, What are bedroom eyes and who has them? I hear the term a lot but can't figure it out. The only woman I can think of is Barbara Feldon from Get Smart. Number one, that's a terrific question. Number two, Colonel Jeff and I both really thought it was a fabulous choice picking Barbara Feldon from Get Smart. I mean, uh, God bless her. She was gorgeous. She was fun, funny, a terrific actress. Well, everyone on uh, Don Adams, everyone on that. And who who played the chief, by golly? You know what? And uh, let's just see if we can think of it. Holy mackerel. He was great anyway. Not Ed Perkins or something like that. Ed something with a P. But, boy, he was great. He was great in every movie he was in. And every TV show he was in, he was so good as the chief. I think that's a good character to give the the adjective long-suffering. He was always trying to, well, to run control and get whatever they were trying to get. It was a great show, great premise. In any case, Barbara Feldon, yeah. And yes, Scotty's right. And yes, Scotty, Barbara Feldon always had bedroom eyes. Now... I, I, I'm with you. I'm with Scotty, and I think the, the colonel and the doctor are, too. We, we don't quite know what bedroom eyes means. I mean, obviously, I think it's obviously that it means that the woman is saying to the man, hey, why don't we go to the bedroom? And I think presumably, that, oh, by the way, how do you like that? The colonel just put up the name Edward Platt played the chief in so many other great roles. And I'm pleased with myself. I thought it might be Ed and then something with a P. But uh, that's as close as I need to get today because that band was so good. But, yeah, I think it's the woman who has the bedroom eyes and the man just notices them and says, uh, hey, I'm with you, or something equally witty. And But what do the... Bedroom eyes mean, and when does that happen? Does it happen when you're in the bed together and watching the nightly news? Well, that doesn't really quite, doesn't have the romance of not being in the bed and not watching the nightly news. But I mean, so bedroom eyes, have you been kissing? Have you been making out? Have you been saying something together, telling a story that has a memory of your love in it? And I know there are no such stories, by the way, but supposing you had one 
and then you notice you look at her and she's happy to be married to you and uh and she's thinking perhaps we we could get romantic tonight and that that small smile on her face and her happiness in general translates itself to her eyes it goes up to her eyes is that the way that happens perhaps it would have a greater effect if instead of going up to her eyes it went down to something else but it goes up to her eyes manda a man doesn't have bedroom eyes does he because that would be kind of well gross i mean wouldn't it if the man is uh, there are other older images of uh, men who are saying hey how about it there's the classic wearing a silk smoking jacket at home and you have a little Ronald Coleman mustache on and you're gently turning a bottle of champagne in a bucket of ice and isn't that saying hey why don't i stop doing all this and we just go lie down and watch the news and and here's some news for you this just in here's a bulletin we didn't see coming but in any case what are bedroom eyes and who has them good question you know i i i'm not making fun of it i think it would be nice if well more folks had bedroom eyes for each other or more folks weren't embarrassed to show that that's what they were thinking and that's what they are thinking and it's certainly uh it's certainly nicer and and sweeter than just saying hey you think you can get off your butt and get it together right now that 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 wouldn't be uh not that i've heard that but if i had no i i would rather have the bedroom eyes so scotty i'll tell you what scotty perkins asked the musical question what are bedroom eyes and who has them i hear the term a lot but can't figure it out the only woman i can think of is barbara feldon from get smart every part of that question is correct the colonel and i both thought so and the choice of barbara feldon was fantastic and the only thing i can pick on a tiny bit is that uh when you say i hear the term a lot but can't figure it out you hear the term a lot because i know what it is and colonel jeff knows what it is and dr chris knows what it is but we don't hear the term a lot because i i don't think anyone sane hears the term a lot i don't think it's said a lot or i don't think it's used a lot in any case if you hear the term a lot perhaps soon you'll get out of the asylum and can start a regular life but you know what maybe maybe let's be fair to scotty maybe he's a very cool guy and he actually does hear the term a lot well good for you i would like personally i think bedroom eyes is a nice choice it's it's an it's a nice well it's not a metaphor it's it's just it's just it's just a nice thought rather than saying listing other parts for instance you could say you step on the gas when it comes to a car do you actually step on the gas well no you don't scotty maybe you do but i mean i i i you don't step on the gas but it's a nice image for driving the car hey let's go step on the gas and well that's a pretty good image so i'm happy when it comes to bedroom eyes i i just as a phrase how nice how nice a moment to think of how nice a place to communicate for a woman i think it would be a woman to communicate hey why don't we go take the covers down and uh but you know what i'll just i won't add anything to it bedroom eyes and i won't feel the need to add anything like a car again you don't have to add well let's turn the key on let's turn the engine on let's let's make sure there's enough gas and then after we put it into gear let's step on the gas we can just say let's step on the gas and i can see that look in your eyes and you know what i love you and you have bedroom eyes and i think i'm seeing them now and folks you know and i know how embarrassing if that's not what you were seeing but if instead your wife was trying to say 
you know what might be good is if you took the garbage out now. Say right now. But, Scotty, I think you're good to find that. What are bedroom eyes and who has them? It's a good question. And you know what? I'm so pleased with it, and I think the colonel and the doctor are so pleased with it, too. We're willing to tip our hats and say, we hope you hear the term a lot. And boy, oh boy, you sure picked a great one in Barbara Feldon. God bless her. I think she's still well and uh, and uh, working and all is well. But boy, that look as, as a model she had and uh, on commercials and then getting that part on Get Smart. She was always good in everything she did. So thanks, Barbara. And we now come to the ballpoint pen update. First of all, Colonel Jeff's pen has no change. It's still gone. He doesn't have it. It was taken. And he said to me, I'm not upset. I'm just assuming it got back to its rightful owner. As fond as, of course, I am of Colonel Jeff, I think that may be one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. Because for him, anyone to say, you're not upset? I mean, that became your pen. That pen, in a magical, mystical way, came back to life just for you, for you personally. Not for just someone on whose desk it was lying. But even though you're not upset, that may be that you're really on a higher level and that you're assuming it got back to its rightful owner. And I hate to be, well, cynical and cranky, as you all know, but if I, I don't, I, my first guess wouldn't be that it got back to its rightful owner. My, my, my first guess would be that, well, someone else just uh, looking for a free iced tea or a handful of peanuts around here glanced into your office in front of the big screen computer, saw that pen lying there and thought, you know what? That's for me. And maybe he's the guy who hears the term bedroomize a lot too. But in any case, Colonel Jeff's pen is still gone. It's been pilfered. And he said he called it missing and presumed pilfered. Well, I presume that too. I presume it's pilfered. And my ballpoint pen, my big click ballpoint pen that I have been saving and, and waiting to bring back to life in the same way. And I say it to my pen right now. My pen is listening to this broadcast right now. And even if he's not, I know he understands the point, the ballpoint. He didn't work again today. I work him every day. I pick it up and smile, click it on, and start to write my name, because I like being a third grader again, what's the first thing you think of? Well, I'll just write my name. That's what I've been practicing for years anyway. But he has not started writing yet, and then I lick my index finger a little bit and put it on his his ballpoint there, and just try it again. There's nothing. There's not even a drop. There's not even the tiniest sense that there is some kind of colored liquid that could be transferred, but I will still do that. I am not saying this will work. I am saying I will not give it up. I will not just shrug and toss that thing in the waste paper basket. It's a phrase you don't use much a lot, is it? The waste paper basket. But that's the important memo today. Jeff's pen is missing and presumed pilfered. My pen does still not work. And Jeff is not upset. He's assuming it got back to its rightful owner. Rightful owner, if you are out there, please contact us and tell us the pen is safe and that you're not a really bad guy for just having pilfered the pen. In any case, I'm glad mine still has a chance, and I'm glad Colonel Jeffs is out there working for someone, maybe even a bad guy. And by... Amazon. That's right, Amazon. I guess we could get a lot of pens at Amazon, too. We could get anything we wanted in Amazon because they're the best service in the world. Why? Here's why. 
You go to Amazon right now on your laptop, on your big phone, on any screen you had. Go there right now and see what they have. Hold it. Don't put your finger down on that pad yet. Don't do it. We will do it for you. Go to our website. That's LarryMillerPodcast.com. Who's on the mountain? Tom Mix. LarryMillerPodcast.com. And we have a banner, a blue banner, that says Amazon on it. You click on our Amazon banner, and we will take you to Amazon. You click on our banner, and then go tip back in your comfy, lazy boy chair and put a magazine over your face because we're going to do the work and get you to Amazon. When you get there... Oh, boy, are you going to be happy because now you can order anything in the world you've ever wanted. Now you can order anything that's in your imagination that you've ever wanted. And not only will you get it, it's the best deal in history. You get what you want. Amazon sends you what you want. And Amazon sends us here at This Week with Larry Miller a percentage of what you want. So you know what? Everybody's happy there. And we put that money... As I've told you, and will always tell you, to our next big fancy fried chicken dinner with cocktails before, not in the same place, because they don't have drinks there anyway at the chicken place, but we will go to a bar beforehand, and that's where your percentage goes. So thank you, Amazon, and by PayPal. That's right, PayPal. Still the most entertaining name to say for me on the air, PayPal. And what you do is it's like giving to a great group. It's like supporting the best cause in the world. What you can do is, my suggestion is, go to your favorite bar wherever you live or a bar you've never been to before and walk in in the middle of the day and when the bartender looks up, you can smile and say, how much is one of your drinks? And the bartender will tell you. And once you know how much one of his drinks is, well, what you do is send us three times that money. And that means a price of a drink for Colonel Jeff, Dr. Chris, and me. And we will put that on to our fancy fried chicken dinner. And you, by the way, I'm glad PayPal gives us an opportunity to talk this way. And you, my suggestion is, once you've asked the bartender, hey, how much do you charge for a drink? And once he tells you what he charges for a drink, as long as you're there, it's 2.30 in the afternoon, it's quiet in there, no one else is in there, and he was just, oh, cleaning up the speed rack a little bit. As long as you're standing right there, now you know what a drink costs, order one. Get one right there. Slide yourself under one of his bar stools, ask if he has any newspapers from that day, and get yourself a drink for the price he quoted. And then write us and tell us about it, by the way, here at LarryMillerPodcast.com. And this leads us to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. That's right, the joke of the week. And it's wonderful and a great pleasure to pass on a joke You feel the same way. I'm not even talking about, well, it's part of what I love to do. It's part of being a comedian, but it's a different kind of joke. It's not the kind that I write for my voice and my audiences. It's that the, well, the best jokes in the world, the regular jokes, two guys walk into a bar jokes, and it's wonderful if you hear one you like to pass it on to another friend. And folks... I hope you like this one, and I hope you want to pass it on to another friend. And in this case, it's, well, it's a husband and wife talking on the phone. The wife calls the husband, and he says, uh, hello, and she says, honey, it's me. Are you at the club? Yes. Great. I am at the mall two blocks from where you are. I just saw a beautiful mink coat. It's absolutely gorgeous. Can I buy it? Well, what's the price? Only $1,500. $1,500. And he says, well, well, okay, go ahead and get it if if you like it that much. Oh, uh, um, and I, I also stopped by the Mercedes dealership and saw the 2015 models. I, I saw one I really liked. I spoke with the salesman, and 
He gave me a really good price. And since we need to exchange the BMW that we bought last year, and well, wait a minute, what 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 price did he quote you? Only eighty thousand dollars. Well, okay, but. For that price, I want it with all the options. Great. But before we hang up, wait, before we hang up something else, what? It might look like a lot, but I was reconciling your bank account, and I, well, I I stopped by the real estate agent this morning and saw the house we had looked at last year. It's on sale, remember? The one with a pool, English garden, acre of park area, beachfront Property? Wait a minute. How much are they asking? Only $750,000. A magnificent price. And I, I see that we have that much in, in the bank to cover. Well, well, wait a minute. Then, okay, go ahead and buy it. But just bid $720,000. Okay. Okay, sweetie. Thanks. I'll see you later. I love you. Bye. I love you, too. The man hangs up and raises his hand while holding the phone and asks to all those present, does anyone know who this phone belongs to? (laughs) Well, Colonel Jeff and I thought that was a pretty good joke. And I hope you do, too. (laughs) Again, it's, it's fun. It's a fun kind of joke to go through things like that. It's not a shaggy dog story. Well, you can make it one. You can really get into details about, well the options on the car and the things like this. But it's just wonderful to think that a wife is calling a husband and she wants to buy all these things, and they're pretty expensive things. And he's going along with it, and he gives her a tip or two on how to how to order something and what to, what to say. And that's all fun. And then we find out he doesn't know who she is. He doesn't know whose phone this is. So in any case, I hope you like that. And... Want to pass it along. And speaking of something passed along, this uh, brings me to my second favorite part of the show, the Poetry Corner. Yes, the Poetry Corner, the corner of poetry. And it's where we reach back. I've always wanted to do this on a show, and sometimes they're funny poems, sometimes they're obscure poems, sometimes they're very meaningful poems. And there's nothing like a great poet to show us something in life in a way we didn't understand before. And once he or she tells us that with these great poems, we can think about it, nod and smile and say, how do you like that? I think I just learned something and I think I enjoyed doing it. So here, someone we've read before, William Shakespeare, who, by the way, was born in 1564 and died in 1616, and his wife's name was Anne Hathaway. And I always enjoy that because I think she's great and I I like working with her. And and it's spelled the same way, A-N-N-E, and then Hathaway. So how do you like that? Maybe you have a name that someone in the past married. I bet you do. Maybe I do too. In any case, this is from the great play Henry V. It's Act 3, Scene 1, and it starts us off on a topic I wanted to examine today anyway, and you'll see what I mean. It's a classic piece, and I think this was done beautifully in the Kenneth Branagh version, the version of this that came out, well, that must be 10 or 15 years ago by now, but there are so many great actors who've played Henry V, and holy mackerel, Brenner did a great job, and especially on this speech where he gathers everybody together. They're at war against the French, and they're going from castle to castle and town to town to beat all the soldiers and to win back these pieces of land. And they're at one particular castle now, and they've forged through, and they can't break through this one this one hole in the castle wall, they can't do it. And many are being killed, and they can't get through, and they try once, and then they try twice, and again and again. And then, well, it's messy out there, and it's it's very painful, and it's hard to not get through. And their young king gets up and says to them all, makes a speech, 
And he says, Once more unto the breach, dear friends, once more, or close the wall up with our English dead. In peace, there's nothing so becomes a man as modest stillness and humility, but when the blast of war blows in our ears, then imitate the action of the tiger. Stiffen the sinews, conjure up the blood, disguise fair nature with hard-favored rage. Then lend the eye a terrible aspect. Let it pry through the portage of the head like the brass cannon. Let the brow overwhelm it as fearfully as doth a galled rock overhang and juddy his confounded base, swilled with the wild and wasteful ocean. Now set the teeth and stretch the nostril wide, hold hard the breath, and bend up every spirit to his full height. On, on, you noblest English, whose blood is fet from fathers of war-proof. Fathers that, like so many Alexanders, have in these parts from morn till even fought and sheathed their swords for lack of argument. Dishonor not your mothers. Now attest that those whom you called fathers did beget you. Be copy now to men of grosser blood and teach them how to war. And you... Good yeoman, whose limbs were made in England, show us here the metal of your pasture. Let us swear that you are worth your breeding, which I doubt not, for there is none of you so mean and base that hath not noble luster in your eyes. I see you stand like greyhounds in the slips, straining upon the start. The game's afoot. Follow your spirit. And open this charge. Cry, God, for Harry, England, and St. George. Well, that's just a great piece and a great part of a great play. And, uh, no, it's it's for sure. We we wouldn't, I, I guess, we we wouldn't be giggling and happy about that sentiment. Oh, they they really beat them. These are based on... on uh, on the facts and that that the big battle at Agincourt, which was uh oh not only just in the movies, the fact that it actually happened that way is so astonishing that the French outnumbered them so much, and the French had great armor on, and they were really noble knights so much, and they were on these great horses, war horses, and they were armed with their swords and spears. And they came out across the land. It was raining. And they came out across the land to finally kill all the English. But the English had something up their sleeve. And that was, well, the longbow. They had a whole crew of fellas who were well-trained. And it was a lot of them. Now, it was only it was something like 10,000 French to 2,000 English or 1,000 English, something like that. But when the French came out on those horses and they they were couldn't charge that fast because, remember, it was raining and the ground was muddy. And the English let loose their long bows, which could go, well, very long. They were long in height and they could really shoot far. And, boy, they let them go again and again and again. And they pretty much killed all the French knights. And, well, that that battle didn't end the way they thought it would when it started. In any case, though, what a great play, Henry V by William Shakespeare. And I hope that makes you want to pass that on, too. And I thought of that for today because, well, we just had Memorial Day. We just had Memorial Day... And I wanted to think about what we often don't think about, which is how important Memorial Day is. And 
We all know the jokes that have been going around for generations of, hey, Memorial Day, it's just really a mattress sale. And I know what that means, and so do you, and that's fine. That's that's a fine joke to do, and and yet I think it should be the other way. I think it should be where we stand and really remember and really say something out loud. As I said, who knows? You know, I used to take our kids to, uh, well military cemeteries and we would go with some flags and we would find we would put them in in graves and then just find one or two graves and just say we'd read what they said on the stone and well I thought that was a nice thing to do to say well look at this fella because a lot of these military graveyards have well some some old graves they have they go back to the Korean War to World War II to World War One, and farther. And we would stand there, and, and that's a very nice thing to do. It's very meaningful. It doesn't mean that you think you're going to change yourself or change the world or change the way your kids think. I wasn't trying to do that. I love my kids, and I love the way they think. But it's it's something good to do on Memorial Day. And that's why, by the way... The choice this time, this week, for Magic Movie Moment, which is a very important part of the show. I love doing something where in a movie you love, there's, oh, a scene, even just a line or an acting choice or the way it's directed. It it becomes more than just that movie. It becomes, well, it becomes magical. And every time you see it, you look forward to that part again. And this movie has so many great parts in it. There's a lot of magic already in this movie. It's called The Best Years of Our Lives from 1946. Well, what a movie. What a cast. Dana Andrews, Frederick March, Virginia Mayo. Wow. Ray Collins, Teresa Wright. And, folks, there's a great actor in this. There's far more people in the cast than that. They're all wonderful. Hokey Carmichael is in this, too. And if you don't know any of these folks or haven't seen it, set in your mind to see it now. And there's one actor in it named Harold Russell. And he won the Academy Award that year for this part for Best Supporting Actor. It's a wonderful movie. And You know what, folks? Harold Russell was not only just an actor in this movie that the great director William Wyler saw in another documentary about how soldiers were injured in World War II. Harold Russell was in World War II, and he was in a very tough part of it, and he served very honorably, and he lost his hands. They were blown off and burned by a grenade. And Harold Russell went through everything he needed to go through, and especially in those days at the end of World War II, to try and get where he could live again, where he could work again, where he could just get home again. It's a beautiful movie. It's so well done in every way. And you know what? Harold Russell is engaged to the classic, The Girl Next Door, and... She's great. I'm sorry, I think her name was Catherine O'Donnell or O'Connell. But you know what? And uh, he comes back home with the other fellas, and they come back on a... They share uh, an airplane and a helicopter, the last way to go there. And that's Dana Andrews. And, oh, boy, and Frederick March. They're so good in this. But you see, Harold Russell plays a character... And uh, Homer Parrish, that's that's the character. And he can't get used to what he has to go through. He can't quite get used to that everyone he meets now looks at his hands being gone and says, oh, how did that happen? And, oh, how do you feel? People trying to be nice, but it's hard to get through that life for him. And he doesn't want to marry his girlfriend anymore. He doesn't want to marry... The girl he loved his whole life since they were babies together, and he doesn't want to marry the girl he kept writing to 
before he lost his hands and saying, when I get home, as soon as I get there, we're going to get married and start a life of our own. And Harold Russell keeps getting a little more distant, a little more detached from her, and she's noticing it. And her parents notice it, and they want to send her away to one of her aunt's houses and just to try and forget this guy. And she contacts him, and, well, it's just beautiful. She she convinces him in the most loving way that you could ever see that, of course, they should be married. And, of course, she doesn't care. And she's just looking forward to spending her whole life with him. And if part of that means taking care of him, so be it. She wants to and she will because she loves him completely. And she says these things and then he says them to her as she's trying to put him to sleep one night. He brings her up to his bedroom in his house, his parents' house, just to try and, well, show her how horrible it will have to be for her to help take his, well, the false arms off and the straps off and get him into his bed because at that point he can't do anything. As he says, I couldn't have a cigarette, I couldn't read a book because he has no hands. And if the door somehow slipped shut because of the wind in the hallway, you know what? He couldn't get out then because he doesn't have any hands and she loves him completely, and you really think, boy, boy, this is the girl you want to meet, and this is the girl you want to love you. And at the end of the movie, as they're getting married, and it's there's so many stories that come together at this point, but th- folks, when they get married, and Harold is completely changed, he's as happy as he could be, and he's a great actor, by the way. This was the, the first part he ever did. And you know what? He's so happy marrying her. And the the minister is there marrying them in, in his house. And you know what? Everyone is just happy. But when he smiles at her and when he gets the ring from Dana Andrews, and even with his claws, even he can hold that. And he can put it on her finger. He got very good using those things. And you know what? Then when he says, I will, and she says, I will, and then the pastor says, you may kiss the bride. Folks, there are a lot of great movie kisses that I think of. And I don't like all movie kisses. Some of them go way too far and get way too intimate, way too quickly. And some of them, are, some of them just shouldn't be shown. And, uh, and, but there are some great ones, a lot of great ones I love. And I am here to tell you that I think this may be the best movie kiss ever. Not because it was intimate, and not because it showed anything, but for what it represented from what these characters did and how they grew... And with the music swelling behind it and everyone else smiling and happy to be at this above all other weddings, when he kisses her and she kisses him and they hug, folks, that is my magic movie moment for this week. It's really a moment based on the whole run of the movie and the whole story being told. But please watch this movie if you haven't seen it. It's wonderful to watch with your kids or your parents or or anyone else. But it's it's a nice family movie. And you can sit there and you'll be taken away and you'll smile. And I'm telling you, there's nothing to be ashamed of. My eyes filled up every time something beautiful happened in this movie. And my eyes filled up when they kissed. So that's my magic movie moment for this week. And it once again is based on something I think is very important. As I read from Shakespeare's Henry V and in the magic movie moment. And you know what? It it means so much to think of what is Memorial Day? 
Well, again, we, we've all heard jokes for a long time of, well, it's a mattress sale. Okay, but that's really not what it is. And I remember when I was a kid, for instance, and going to local, well, Memorial Day parades, and they were small-town parades, but those are the best. They're really so meaningful. And then, oh boy, oh boy, when I uh, started working, I was in the marching band in high school. This is on Long Island in Valley Stream. And I loved being, I was in the orchestra and the choir and the marching band. Not the same instrument, but I played drums in the marching band in high school. And Mr. Emig was the conductor and the band teacher, and he knew everything about marching bands. He was from Ohio, and he and his family were very involved, and he really trained us well and reminded me, because you see, folks, I miss marching bands and football games. I really miss them. I'm sorry. I I don't need to hear Elton John and Beyonce doing a duet on Hold Me Closer, Tiny Dancer. Now, I don't. Not at a football game. Not watching one on TV. I, I don't need to see that. I'm glad they're successful. They work hard. They're, they're great at everything they do. And I don't need to see it, though. What I want to see at halftime at a football game, and especially professional games, but at college games, too, I want to see the halftime. They used to show you the halftime, and it was always marching bands. They always showed you one or two marching bands from both of the schools. And the simplicity of that used to thrill me. They used to see marching bands. as Everyone's in the marching band uniform. And, hey, look, it's one diamond merging into another. Look at that. As they go down the field in two groups, and then, hey, they break out. And now they form two X's. You know, it's not that it was involved stuff. I'm not, I wasn't even crazy about where they go running out. They sprint out onto the field and quickly get into a formation. I don't, I, I don't need that either. I, I respect whatever they want to do. But to me, just a classic marching band lined up on the zero-yard line and then starting, well, they go out in a point and they, one leads and they're two steps behind every row. Whatever it is, I like that because they're also playing at the same time. And I never minded when they took, well... Route 66 or Basin Street Blues or something like that and turned it into a marching band song. I like that it was a little bit knuckleheaded. I like that it was just not quite there. It was kind of off a little bit. I don't need them to get much better at it. I almost got annoyed every time they, look, listen now. Listen how good they are now at playing that song. I don't need them to be that good now. I need them to have a great 4-4 time, and you can hear that bass drum booming. Nothing fancy. I like the basics of it because that's like the basics of a Memorial Day parade when people marched, especially small-town parades, and there would be in the middle somewhere, they'd have a space, they'd leave a space intentionally for the older veterans. Not everyone, just three or four fellas who were there with gray hair or white hair, and they still had either their uniforms on or suits, and they had their ribbons and medals pinned to their lapels, and they were wearing the VFW hats, that's the Veterans of Foreign Wars hats, and they they didn't have a rigid look on their faces. They weren't saluting like very tough guys. They were walking and marching, and they were glad to be alive, and they were glad that the town kept asking them back, and the way life goes, eventually they weren't there anymore because even the best veterans of foreign wars don't live forever. And you know something, though? That's why those parades were meaningful on Memorial Day. That's why seeing three or four fellows who were really there and had most of their platoons killed was celebrating them on Memorial Day. And you know what, folks? That's why I miss the marching band being on the field. Something very basic and very sweet and very American about that. Was it a little knuckleheaded? Fine. 
Was it, was it not quite the most well-done thing that could ever be done? Fine. I loved it. And by the way, on Memorial Day, our marching band always marched in our hometown parade. And that's fine. But you see, our marching band uniforms, like every marching band uniform, I think, in the post-World War II era, and I didn't, let's see, I put mine on, I suppose it was first in, well, 67. But the reason they were so closely tied to World War II is because they were, they were made out of some of the linings from the fuselage of bombers and things that really couldn't be used for anything else. They weren't cotton and they weren't wool. They were made of, uh, well, something that even Rayon would say, Oh, that's not real. And you know what? This is that, that it was so thick, those materials, the pants and the jackets, and they were so thick and heavy. It was it was what I call these road to perdition jackets, you know, like those great overcoats they had where the material was an inch and a half thick. And it's, oh, when they got wet in the rain, didn't matter they were shooting at each other anymore because each coat weighed 700 pounds. But... These uniforms, folks, I'm telling you, and Colonel Jeff had the same thing. He was a drummer also in his high school marching band, and he said they were a step ahead of us, though, because they went along in the 70s with with the trend to, as he put it, they didn't have, we had shirts and ties that were visible under our jackets, and his school moved to turtleneck dickies and i'm not making fun of that by the way i'm saying they did that and folks were wore those in that as he said from roughly 1970 well to 1980 we didn't wear those but i'm telling you his uniform and mine were the same weight they were very heavy they were the same thickness very thick folks they were so hot you see when we they were so hot when we wore our marching band uniforms, 99.9% of the time, it was at the football game. We marched at halftime. We were in the stands playing the school song whenever the school scored a touchdown. We were the ones that sent up signals to the other side, to the other fans and the other marching bands. And we were always in our uniforms. And they fit great for those days because, as I think you know, football games are cold. They're very cold. They're at a cold time of year. And you know what? Memorial Day is hot. It's a hot time of year. I don't care if you live at the Arctic Circle. It's still going to be 102. And folks, when we marched in those uniforms, no one in those days, no one had the brains. We had white bucks. We had, uh, well, the school uniform pants, the school uniform jacket over a white shirt and a black tie, and the caps, the hats, were very heavy. They, again, made out of the same material. Something, this material was bulletproof, but it wasn't heatproof. It was so thick. Those hats had to be eight, nine pounds. Very heavy hats with brims. They were like officers' hats from a very cruel army, and they were very heavy, and I'm telling you, that when we started that Memorial Day parade every year, and just even about 10 minutes in, and this was hours, hours and hours of marching and playing, and I was I was always drumming. You know, the drummer, we'd play street beats and uh, fill with cadences in between songs, and Mr. Amy then would blow the whistle, and we'd, well, we were good. I loved playing in the band. We had that classic introduction, the same to every song of dun-dun, dun-dun. And whatever the song was, it would just start. And I'm telling you, at the end of that parade, three, four hours, the whole way, by the time we got to the end, we were staggering like a rugby team that had been drinking for a week. And I'm here to tell you, we were so hot, those uniforms were soaked with us. They were soaked with us the sweat of life. And when we when we got to the end there, people were weaving around and weren't trying to. We weren't joking around. I don't care whether you were a flute player or a glockenspiel player 
or just the guy with the big baton that would go up and down. And I'm telling you, we would come staggering into that parking lot area where it was ending, and we would, oh, we'd sit on the ground on the concrete, lean against parked cars, and just to get that jacket off, holy mackerel, that jacket felt like it was 50 pounds of just false material. But still, we knew, as unpleasant as that was, when we got home, holding our uniforms, because we switched back and, you know, put on the other clothes that we came in, we always had our uniforms in our closets at home, and all we did was, I did nothing but hang them up, hang the pants up, hang the jacket over it, and put it in the closet. We didn't send it to the cleaners. No one ever thought to send it to the cleaners. And I wasn't the first one to wear it. When they got these uniforms in 1946, I was not the first one there. I got mine in 1967. And that was, well, seven or eight chubby guys in between. So I'm telling you, we still knew when I got home and my parents said, how'd it go? They came to a couple of Memorial Day parades to see us over the over the years I was there. But even they could see, uh, you know, their kid might just pass out as he walked by. And they didn't really want to see that. So they saw me once, uh, once I got home and uh, they drove me home and they saw me and said, hi, how'd it go? And they just said, before you tell us how it went, just get in the shower, take a shower, take a shower right now. And I did. Boy, that shower felt great. And then I got out, dried off, put on some clean clothes, you know, comfy clothes, just jeans and a and a sweatshirt. Boy, I'm telling you though, folks. One after I hung that uniform up, and I said, they said, how'd it go? I said, you know what? It was a good Memorial Day because we had our veterans there too, and somebody said a prayer at the beginning and at the end for those who who were killed in battle. And we always knew that. And I guess I'm sorry to say, I think we've lost that too. I think the same way we've lost marching bands at football games, I think we've lost the point of Memorial Day. It used to be called Decoration Day. And it's about the folks who were killed and were trying not to be killed. So next year, maybe let's all think about that again. You and I know lots of things. We're proud that we do. And we know that Homer is Homer and Pluto is a planet. And remember, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you folks, the game's over and you've won. So we'll see you here next time. And next year, we'll all remember Memorial Day together. LarryMillerPodcast.com. We'll see you here. <laughs>